0: One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz Fritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic Guys, week eight. How's it going? How are we doing this week? <laughs> Any <Yeah>. crickets, crickets.
1: <laughs> Just going. Crickets just doesn't mean good things. Probably.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no notable lineups or anything.
2: No, I, I decided I want to do a pivot off of like all my Brady stuff to go after the, the Packers at the last minute and did a lot of Washington Green Bay type stacks and pulled off of Rams and Tampa Bay to do it. So it wasn't a good choice.
0: Yeah, yeah no, we just go ahead. I was going to say, we kind of connected on Twitter about being kind of high on that game environment. I was feeling pretty good at it, about it by the end of the weekend. Like I just felt like Washington could keep pace. And so I didn't end up with like a ton of pieces that from that game, just because of the way things shook out for the, the small amount of rosters I build. But uh, I did play Devonte and paid up for him in that spot because I figured he might be pushed to his ceiling, but wasn't the case. <laughs>
1: Well, I actually, honestly, that game, like the the Washington, they like turned the ball over four times in the red zone, something crazy. They like, didn't score. They turned it over on downs or threw a pick. Like, they they had plenty of chances to not even just like push the backers, but like take leads in that game. Like, that would have totally boosted uh, Devontae. Like, they just stopped throwing the ball in the second half because every time the Washington moved the ball, they just they couldn't finish their drives. But so that was that was interesting. That was one of those it's football like variants, right? Just one of those ways they didn't didn't quite hit.
0: Yeah. Speaking right. of variants, what a crazy week with how that, uh, Kansas city, Tennessee game ended up. I feel like this year has just been kind of wacky and it's like every week we have at least one or two spots where just like really kind of strange. And that I feel like just kind of took the cake for the year. Like, you know, nobody could have seen that coming. And I mean, truly the
1: chiefs did not look good. I could not believe they scored three points. Like I, it's not that I was as surprised that they lost. Like I still expect them to win, but the fact that their offense off and struggle that much like that, I mean, that was just like, what percentile outcome is that? And especially against Tennessee. I mean, that, that was wild.
0: All right. With all that out of the way, let's jump into this week's games. We are going to be talking about Carolina at Atlanta, Tennessee, at Indy Jacksonville at Seattle. We'll start out with this Carolina at Atlanta game where it's kind of interesting. We have two teams who are basically on the exact opposite trajectories with Carolina, you know, starting the year hot and just completely bombing over the past few weeks. And then Atlanta, you know, that brutal week one and have really kind of been showing a little bit more of what we probably expected from them, um, coming in from the off season. So let's take a look at what this matchup holds for us, starting with the Atlanta side of the ball against the Carolina defense. Uh, we've got Atlanta scoring 27 plus in three straight and Carolina has recently allowed 36, 21, 34 and 25 points. So Lex, I'll throw this over to you to start. I know you had some notes on uh, like Matt Ryan and he's kind of hot after that ugly week one. What are we looking at with this Atlanta offense?
1: Yeah, I think Atlanta is finally starting to find its stride a bit. Just they're using pits a little bit better. You know, Arthur Smith was, you know, new for them this year. So it takes, you know, maybe some time to adjust, but they're playing better. Now, some of them have been, you know, weaker defenses, but, uh, they're just playing overall better. I mean, they even played well in that game without Ridley um in London. So I think it's it's good, good to see at least that we're getting, you know, production from one of these guys every week, you know, with Patterson and Pitts or Ridley. Even Gage found his way in the end zone last week. And then on the other side, like their their matchup, I think Carolina's defense has been trending downward more towards probably what we thought heading in, where they're solid, but not like the exceptional defense they started off the season. Um, I mean, Dak Cousins. We're both very good against this defense. And then Daniel Jones last week was throwing to like Dante Pettis and other practice squad guys. And he didn't even, he didn't turn the ball over. They controlled the game. Um, so they've, they've been struggling. I mean, they had some injuries too. So that hasn't exactly helped them. Um, I'm not sure what Gilmore's status is if like, if he's going to be worked in here anytime soon, but uh, I think the spot's interesting. It's not like, you know, it's not the spot where you'd be like, Oh yeah, I really want to attack that. But I, I do think that, um has, you know, some sneaky good, you know, upside for the Atlanta offense.
0: Just comments on any of that?
2: Yeah, I think uh as far as Atlanta's offense goes, it we're looking at one of those condensed offenses. Um Matt Ryan's kind of dinking and dunking though, so I think Kyle Pitts probably has the most value in that offense right now even though Ridley is seeing all those targets. It's just not a big play offense yet, so we'll see if it gets there, but And Cordell Patterson basically taking over that backfield. I know Arthur Smith said yesterday that it's the division of carries is going to be a week by week thing. But it looks like Mike Davis is just getting lost in the shuffle in there and just making that even a a more concentrated. I mean, there's really only three guys to choose from. And then occasionally if the matchup says so, maybe uh, Russell Gage. But yeah, it's this game and as a whole is pretty much just a condensed game. We pretty much know where where the ball is going to go.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things with this spot is it's not necessarily one of those games that's like, oh, it's this like a blow up spot. But yeah, given what these offenses look like, we do pretty much know where the ball is going. Kind of as you alluded to there, Calvin Ridley has double digit targets in every game since that's just you know really bad overall team performance in week one. And he's only scored two touchdowns on a year. So all of his DK scores are only between 10 and 20 points. So, you know, what you brought up is interesting in terms of target depth. Um, But, you know, we still haven't seen a Ridley ceiling game. And so I guess I'm just I'll continue to have him on my radar just because I think the field will, you know, won't be super excited to play him at least. So I think he's always interesting. Uh, Lex, any thoughts on these pass catchers, Kelvin Ridley, obviously we've got Kyle Pitts who is, you know, they're, they're almost kind of working him in, you know, he's almost like more of the one B in this offense, as opposed to like a number two or a, uh, a tight end, you know, so, uh, yeah, thoughts or stats that you've got on those
1: guys. I think like Jess said, it's definitely really concerning just the, the way they're using him kind of in this, uh, shorter a dot role. Um, but we at least you know, the things he does have going for him in his favor are we know how talented he is. He's had a lot of strong production in the past. um, even in games without Julio, he had some some really nice scores. So it's not like he didn't hit some thirty year old, you know, mark where you know you're worried about his aging. Like so I, I think that in terms of like his talent and the player he is, like that still exists. It's more just we're a little concerned about the role and maybe Matt Ryan's arm to an extent. um but, you know, that's just relying on a very short sample, you know, a very small sample too. Like Pitts is the one they've been using down the field, but like, we don't know. I mean, Ridley still could be used that way. He was used that way earlier in his career. So, you know, I I still think that's interesting. Carolina has been pretty good at limiting these like bigger explosion games for receivers. Like most of the time they have to rack up catches, you know, they're just kind of forcing it shorter. So I don't like the spot a ton for him. Um, but he does have talent, and he's someone that could, you know very easily rack up the eight nine catches, you know, and that maybe adds up for like a hundred yards and a touchdown or two. Um, so that's certainly in his range of outcomes, but just not the best spot. I think Pitts is probably the most interesting just because they've started to use him downfield a lot. Um, he's clearly super talented, but being a rookie, you know, tight end or whatever it hasn't affected him at all. I mean, he's basically running more snaps as a slot or out wide than in line anyway. Um, so I think this spot's really interesting for him, um, for basically those main two pass getters, I, the other guys don't interest me as much. This isn't necessarily a spot I'm looking to like game stack. So I'd be more focused on like the Ridley and Pitts probably in the past game. And then Patterson as we'll get to later too. But, um, those two are, I, I, they're not like, it's not a fantastic spot. Um, but it's certainly a spot where if one of them succeeding and then it helps you, you know, get Garner more interest toward like DJ Moore on the other side. <laughs>
2: And at some point, Ridley's going to hit, and he's <clears throat> priced in the mid-range right now at that 6,600. Uh, looking at target distribution, Carolina is only allowing 33 pass attempts per game, but 40% of them are going to the outside, so or outside receivers. So that's a, a good news for Ridley. And then the other 24% are going to the tight end, so that's good news for Pitts. So basically looking at Carolina's defensive target distribution, it, Ridley and Pitts both set up really well in this game. Uh, They're actually the lowest as far as targets go to running backs, and they are second lowest on the slate for the slot. So that kind of would take Patterson and Russell Gage out of some opportunity if that trend continues. Um, And then looking at time of possession, both of these teams are possessing the ball and running at a slower than average rate. So it, there's like five minutes between the two of them. They're possessing the ball for about five minutes, more than a 60 minute game. So this game has a chance to really slow down. Um, I don't know that both teams are not allowing a ton of pass attempts. I mean, 35 for Atlanta, 32 for Carolina's defense. So it'll be interesting. It it is good that these are concentrated offenses because the amount of plays you're going to need efficiency out of it. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at as far as looking at the the Atlanta passing offense and kind of the, the game script as a whole.
0: Do you happen to have drive success rate or no? Yes, I do, actually.
2: Uh, Atlanta has the third worst net drive success rate score. So if you take Atlanta's offense and Carolina's defense and you combine them and average them out, so Atlanta has the third worst net DSR. Uh, they have the fifth worst net pass DDOA matchup. Uh, that's mostly due to Carolina's early season success. But, I mean, they could get Gilmore back this week or not back. They'll, they'll have him for the first time. But then they could also get uh, Shaq Thompson, who's been the heart of the defense, back. Uh, and Justin Burris at safety. So they could have three new starters or two returning and one new starter this week. That'll That'll boost that defense back to what we saw. In those first few weeks when they were good and then also just kind of looking at who has put up have to have it scores against the carolina defense it has been a concentrated offense with minnesota and then it has been uh dallas and dallas really didn't even throw to the running backs in that game they just turned around and handed the ball off for the most part that whole game and then minnesota threw the ball so All their other games, they've pretty much shut the opposing team down. You didn't need any of those scores in DFS from the opposing team other than the Ezekiel Elliott and then the Adam Thielen game and Dalvin Cook.
0: Any other thoughts on receivers or do we want to move to the backfield situation?
1: I'm good on the pass catchers.
0: All right. Yeah, well, with that, I I feel like it's like backfield situation in in air quotes almost because Earl Patterson is, you know, he's kind of took over the running back role last game. And he's he's like been seeing work as a receiver, too. I don't actually know um, what that looked like with Russell Gage back, but. I don't know what like so what are we thinking about quarter patterson's role uh like i said clearly took over some of that work last week as jess mentioned uh there was some of that coach speak in terms of like you know it's going to be a weekly you know big week to week thing with these two are we believing that is mike davis you know (laughs) rosterable whatsoever what's the what's the situation here
1: I mean, That's, I had to like check to make sure he wasn't injured. Like when I saw his attempts, <laughs> right. Yeah. Go ahead, Jess. It's not like you had something to say.
2: Oh no. I was just saying Mike Davis, he, he just looks like he's dust. I mean, he gets the revenge game against the the Panthers, but I don't know. Maybe it's a week to week thing because of how Dalvin cook and Ezekiel Elliott did, but Mike Davis is not that. So I think, I think you get the floor with Patterson because he is working as a receiver more than Davis has
1: yeah, part of Dave's problem is like he's just not he's not as good in space as Patterson. and there's not been a lot of bl- good blocking for either of these running backs, and it's just been really tough, tough uh, sledding for the two. um, just see Pats being used more creatively. You know, he's getting more and more receiver snaps every week. um, and then now he's even getting all the you know running back carries over Davis. So I think he's pretty interesting. Like Carolina's been pretty good at limiting production other than that, you know, that Dallas game where they got run all over and then maybe Dalvin a bit. Um, But uh, it's definitely interesting. It's not like some blow up spot, but you definitely want to take note of a guy who keeps consistently putting up, you know, 14 point scores with a couple of really big ones in there. Um, He's got touchdown equity. You know, it's like we've been saying it's a narrow, narrowly distributed offense. Um, If Davis is going to get like, you know, what he did last week in like four touches or whatever, you know, then that makes Patterson even more viable because then Davis is stealing even less work. So I think it's interesting, you know, it's a, he's a definitely a guy that I'd look at, especially if I'm, you know, looking at the other side of this game as well, you know, who's going to push Carolina into more paths, volume and things of that nature, then uh, Patterson's definitely interesting. Even if it's just kind of a, you know, mediocre, nothing, nothing says this spot's like, you know, going to explode, but you know, interesting enough.
0: Jess, any thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, I was just looking trying
2: to pull up some salary here and look at, uh, where he's at. He's still only 6,200 and he's averaging 19 DK points per game. So, uh, I don't know, as far as the, that offense goes, I think he's, he's the third guy, if not the second at times when Ridley's not hitting. So the, the way that offense flows, I mean, he's, he's getting the creative looks, they're scheming him looks, um, I think he still has value. He has floor and at his price, it's, it's a reasonable play.
0: I'm like really upset that he's only 6,200. I was hoping that he would be more so that I could just be like, yeah, I'm not going to go near him. (laughs) But the fact that he's like 62 is still, yeah, like totally doable for what he's been averaging. And, um, yeah, that's hard because, I I don't really trust the role in in the sense that he's like that Mike Davis won't see anything. Uh, obviously, you know, he does have the upside Patterson that is in this, in, in the backfield. Um, I still, you know, if I'm going anywhere on this side of the ball, I think it's going to be Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts for me.
1: Yeah. I don't think you have to like account for Patterson on, you know, every roster when you're building, he's not like that that level or that kind of price, but um, he's definitely something that somebody that I'll keep in mind, just especially if his role is increasing, like we've seen over the last couple of weeks.
0: All right. With that, let's head on to the other side of the ball kind of mentioned how Carolina has just really disappointed over the past few weeks after their hot start. And Sam Darnold is squarely in the middle of that looking hashtag bad over (laughs) the last few games. We even saw some PJ Walker. What are we doing with this Carolina offense? Uh, We even had a, you know, a chalky Chuba Hubbard this past week and he burned everybody there. Do we like any pieces of this offense? What are we doing with them? Lex?
1: I, I like what J.M. was talking about on the um, the classroom thing yesterday where, you know, everyone was so convinced Darnold was good after the beginning of the season, and then he obviously, like, starts playing, you know, like we know Sam Darnold did the first couple of years, and then now that people are kind of jumping back off the bandwagon, it's like, okay, well, it, you know, he still has upside. He showed it earlier in the season um, just because it's not consistent. It doesn't mean he can't get there, and this Atlanta matchup's still, you know, pretty pretty weak, you know, in terms of their pass defense. Um, they like I think Hilo was pointing out, you know, in his write-ups like at the beginning of the season, like Atlanta should be one that improves over the year with Dean Pease as their coordinator. Um, but right now they're still struggling. You know, Tua had a huge game last week against them. Um, Darnold has some rushing upside that we've seen this year. Um, it's unsustainable for him to keep scoring touchdowns on the ground, but that is there. Like they've used him in the red zone. And without CMC, that's probably even more likely um for him to get some of those looks closer to the end zone. Um so I think that that the passing offense in this game is interesting just because we we know like, you know, Robbie's still getting looks downfield, even if he's been absolutely terrible with them. And then Moore's has had pretty strong usage this year. He hasn't had too much blow up other than that one like Cowboys game. Um, but he he's in a spot where if Atlanta's pushing the you know score on one side, then he could get increased volume that helps get him helps get him there this week. Um so I, I like the spot for Donald and and Moore quite a bit. Um, I'll just be, I, again, it's not like the most exciting spot. Um, it's not someone that I'll have to account for in every roster, but I think that as we keep talking and I'm sure Jess has some good stuff, but I, I think this passing offense is in a pretty good spot relative to where they've been the last couple of weeks.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a cheap quarterback that can run into touchdowns that's Sam Darnold, we watched him run in touchdowns earlier in the year. So I wonder if they get back to that because that was when they were having success. Um, last week he was missing his left tackle and they might get cam irving back not that irving was good but the the backup was terrible so having an, a better offensive line in front of him might help um i don't love this spot i don't particularly want to roster any panthers but for 5600 like if you're just kind of building a trying to build a wild roster or something or you want to game stack this uh i probably would go with Darnold over Ryan just because he has that, that rushing touchdown potential where you can get, you know, he can run in one or two, throw one or two. Uh, Neither guy is guaranteed 300 yards. So you might as well look for the guy who's going to get some, some yards on the ground. I don't know. Atlanta. uh, Other thing too, is Atlanta allows the second most fantasy points to quarterbacks and the second most touchdown passes on the slate after Washington. The only thing is you've got, and uh, the way Darnold's playing, like Orlovsky broke down a clip about how his feet, his timing with his feet are throwing off. He's not allowing the routes to develop. Um, I also read something on Twitter, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Beats, and they were talking about that's been something they've been harping on since June. So it's not like pointing this out now is all of a sudden going to be a cure. It's like he, if he's been working on this since June and it's not fixed, then it could be a, a recurring problem for the rest of the year or his career, whatever it is. But the other scary thing for Darnold is rule wants to run the ball 30 to 33 times per game. So that's not going to leave a lot of passing opportunities. I mean, maybe Darnold gets some of those, (laughs) maybe he gets eight or 10 of those carries that he's talking about. So uh, it'll just be interesting to see how this team moves going forward, because there is a lot of chatter about, I mean, they're they're coming down on the offensive coordinator. They're coming down on Darnold. You don't have McCaffrey back yet. So there's, there's a lot of uh, upsetting things going on there that, at some point they're either going to correct, or this is who they are.
0: It is kind of interesting to me how there's, it seems like there's just like quite a bit of rumbling and after, and obviously that, you know, they played teams who weren't great those first few weeks, but they looked legitimately pretty solid versus those teams. So I don't know, just kind of interesting to me how they were immediately rumblings and, you know, talk about Darnold and kind of back to what you were mentioning Lex and again, that's not to say he's a, a lock for production by any means. Uh, but that, you know, what you're saying, Jess, is interesting to me, at least, you know, to keep in consideration in terms of you know, like price considered. And with, I mean, you got DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, who are just getting such a ridiculous amount of the target share. And, you know, the DJ Moore has been incredibly consistent. He hasn't really had a, you know, a true, like have to have it game or, uh, ones that are feel like you really have to roster him. And then Robbie, similar to Kyle Pitts or excuse me, Calvin Ridley in the same game, just, you know, the amount of production left on the table based on targets they're getting is, I mean, it's just unreal. And we talked about it last week too. And I, I actually liked Robbie a little bit last week after we were talking, like he's gonna, he's gonna convert one of these times. Uh, so, I think it is interesting if you can play these guys as almost like a floor. You know, if you stack Sam Darnold and Robbie or something like that and you get a price considered decent floor ceiling out of them, uh, I think that's viable at least. Lex, thoughts on DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, their role in this offense, or if they're, you know, we're going there.
1: Yeah, I think it's really surprising that Anderson's only trailing more in targets by four over the last four games. So he's getting a ton of looks and there's, he's not connecting on like almost literally anything. Um, but if you liked him last week, then you could probably like him again this week. Other, you know, the only thing that's changed is he had one more terrible week, you know, in between there. Um, but he, he's in an interesting spot just with, you know, Atlanta allowing this wide receiver production, you know, Evans and McLaurin had really nice days um, for more. I think he's definitely the, you know, he's the best play of this offense here, but I think the only way that he's really going to hurt you is if this game turns into a, you know, a shootout in a way, like that was his best game against Dallas when they were trailing big and he caught a bunch of passes and both of his touchdowns, like at late in the fourth quarter and they were down big. I think so. I think playing him is almost an expectation that Atlanta is at least putting up a solid amount of solid amount of points on their side, or you're just, you know, betting on a hopeful, like two touchdown game, but like, you know, you don't want to make bets like that, you know, over the long term. So I think this game for Moore is basically just a bet on Atlanta's offense as well. Um, but it's definitely an easy matchup. Like it's not like Atlanta is some super imposing defense for him. Um, it's just like the way he's being used, you know, he's just not, not going to get enough looks downfield or like usage if they're, if they're not forced into passing more.
2: Yeah, and the, the looks downfield is what's concerning and like when they were manufacturing touches farm, especially in that Dallas game, like he was getting passes out of the backfield. It was a lot of short stuff in front of Tavon Diggs, and, and then him moving the ball after that. Well, now with nobody else to worry about, like even if you throw Robbie the ball 11 times, he's only going to catch three, like defenses are committing the safety over to, to Moore's side and he's not catching the ball deep. So there's at least two guys waiting for him every time he catches the ball now that's a bit concerning for me, especially at his price point. Um, I, uh, Robbie Anderson at some point he he's has to capitalize on those opportunities. He's a hundred dollars cheaper this week. Um, and I, I like Ben's idea. If you're going for a floor stack, get Darnold and more or Robbie in there and then just, you know, load up on studs from there. But I don't know this, this Carolina offense, I, I kind of want to wait and see them fix it. But then again, you're going to miss out on the, the one good game Robbie has all year is <laughs> probably going to be this week. I don't know. He's, he's somebody that I've been kicking around. Like I keep ending up in with around that $4,700 salary while I'm tinkering with rosters. And I, I keep looking at him or LaVisca and I'm like, well, Lavisca's in the late game, but Robbie's going to hit eventually. And so it's just like, it's one of those things. It's, it's your opportunity cost. If you roster him, if you roster him and he catches three for 11 again and no touchdowns, then the you're not really going to win anything.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You you really want to be there for that week, but that, it's, it's so tempting to sit back and wait and see. Um, I know I'm, I kind of always note that for myself when I I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to wait and see how this offense does. I'm like, uh, ah, well, that means everybody else is doing it too. So, you know, cutting just got to figure out what kind of player you are and what kind of risk you're willing to take. And yeah, if you can stomach another, you know, s- single digit performance from Robbie, Uh, Last part of this offense, Chuba Hubbard, like I said, he was kind of the chalk guy last week. Everybody wanted to roster him against the Giants defense. He's been seeing decent volume, but I mean, he really just isn't doing too much with it. Lex thoughts on Chuba and if anything changes for him here.
1: Yeah. I'm not super interested in him. He's getting like, you know, all of the Carolina volume in the backfield, but it's just, it's not a ton you know like it's around you know 14ish attempts you know a couple few targets and Atlanta's not been like good versus running backs but they haven't really been bad either um so it's a spot like maybe he puts up a decent score like a touchdown or anything but he's certainly not a guy that right now is like capable of really hurting you and um i think Atlanta is more likely to be in control of this game um I I don't know. It's just, he doesn't excite me. Like, he's just not a guy that I think you're ever in danger of being like, oh man, I really wish I didn't miss out on him. And like last week was maybe his chance to show that he could do that. You know, he was really popular last week in that matchup and Carolina just completely, you know, crapped the bed. So I, I don't know. He's just very tough to trust right now. He's, he's not like an untalented player, but he's just not, he's not a guy that's ever going to put up these bigger scores. You know, at least he hasn't shown that ability so far. And he's not a guy that, I'm banking on that ability either.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I could trust him yet either, even with uh, rule running to w- run the ball 30 plus times a game. I don't know that, you know, hammering Chuba Hubbard into Atlanta's defense 30 times is going to work. Like he's, n- he's still not going to get a high total of yards. Um, and Atlanta over the years, and even still with Pease as the, the defensive coordinator has been susceptible to pass catching running backs. Uh, he has had five targets in three out of the last five games. So if, if you're like a Hubbard troop truther, then you got a shot there. Maybe they throw him the ball five, six, seven times, and he gets a big one. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's other things on the slate I'd rather do. Like if I'm looking at a running back in that low 6,000 range. I'd rather take the floor with Patterson for $200 more.
0: All right. I think he falls in about the same range for me. Just one of those guys who, yeah, you know, from a volume standpoint, decent, but just really hasn't shown that he's going to do anything to like really wreck you. If you don't play him. Let's go ahead and call that a wrap on that game and move on to our next spot, which is Tennessee at Indiana. Indianapolis, excuse me. Last game they played was in week three. Tennessee won 25 16. And since that, the Titans are red hot after a competitive win against the Bills in week six and just a complete drubbing of Mahomes and the Chiefs in week seven. Colts haven't looked that bad themselves. So let's take a look at how we expect this could play out. Starting with the Tennessee offensive side of the ball, we got AJ Brown and Julio Jones, who actually both left the game early in this, the, the last matchup due to injury, but they both fully returned and AJ Brown really kind of had his first signature AJ Brown game What do we expect this offense to look like with both of these guys, healthy Lex go for it.
1: Yeah. I think this is a good spot for Tennessee just with how poorly Indiana Indianapolis has been performing on defense this year. Uh, Tennessee has been scoring a lot of points. I think since week one, when they really struggled versus Arizona, they scored 33, 25, 24, 30, 34, 27. Like that's a really solid offense. And that was with, you know, those guys all missing games. Uh, so Indianapolis already allowed 27 plus to like Seattle Rams and Baltimore, like other good offenses. So I think the spot sets up pretty well. Um, you're obviously trying to figure out, you know, which one of these guys, but it is a very narrowly distributed offense between Henry Brown and, you know, Julio, as he gets healthier. So I, I think that the spot for them is, is great. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I had some, I mean, Tanhill. you're still only basically playing him as if you expect it to be a very high scoring affair, just because they're, they're never going to give him enough volume to really hurt you. If it's, you know, if Tennessee's defense is playing well on the other side, you know, even kind of like last week where they had a really nice game versus KC and Henry didn't even really do anything, but Tannehill still didn't really hurt you because they just stopped throwing the ball in the entire second half. Um, so I think you basically have to play him with the expectation that The Colts can keep pace, which is possible. I don't think Tennessee's defense having that one great showing versus Kansas city means all their problems are solved. Um, so we'll get more onto that side too. But as far as this environment for Tennessee, it's as good as you can, you know, hope for Indianapolis has been allowing like some of the most fantasy points per pass attempt. And, uh, yeah, they've been getting killed by receivers and we'll get into all this as you know, we keep going, but it's, it's a good spot.
2: Yeah, and Indianapolis is allowing the second highest percent of pass attempts against to go to their outside receivers. So that's gonna be Julio. It's gonna be AJ Brown if they're just in two receiver sets. Um they're the most points that they're allowing as far as where they're going, like, like points are going is to outside receivers. And th- that was a lot earlier in the in the year where they were getting beat deep a lot and they've kind of tightened that up a bit, but they've also only played uh kind of weaker teams recently, like San Francisco is not going to throw the ball deep in the rain. So that kind of skews it a little bit, but I I'm curious to see when are we going to see Julio look healthy? Like he, they didn't need him last week. So maybe he was healthy and could have played more last week. We don't know. Um, maybe this is the week where they've been waiting for him. Tannehill threw three touchdowns in the week three matchup. So there's, there's balls in the air for, for scoring and touchdown equity in this game. Um, I don't know. And this is another one of those matchups where both teams kind of hold the ball, possess the ball for more than the 60 minutes total between the two of them. They both have a slower than average pace. Uh, but one of the nice things that I think works for efficiency is both have, good drive success rate for and both defenses are allowing a good drive success rate against. So that's where I think this could be a nice, efficient game. So it's also (laughs) like the last game, we kind of have a condensed places where the ball's going to go. It's basically going to be Julio and AJ Brown, primarily Brown for Tennessee. Um, and looking at the, the run game, which we'll probably get into later, that may force more to Brown and Julio in this game. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's the Vegas total on this is showing 50 with a, a one point spread. So it's going to be a back and forth game. It's going to be a battle. I do like both parts of both sides of this game. So it's, I don't know where we're going as far as Julio goes. Like I, I, he's another one of those. Do you want to wait and see him to have a big game or do you want to be early on it while he's still cheap? I don't know. <laughs> I tried it last week and it burned me that whole game environment. in KC, Tennessee burned me. So I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a shot again this week.
1: Yeah, that was, that was brutal. I think one of the biggest differences is like under uh, Eberflus, the Colts defense has been pretty good against receivers the last couple of years. Like they generally tried to limit wide receiver targets, but this year they've kind of really taken a step back. Like a bunch of receivers have had success. I think they've already allowed 11 wide receiver touchdowns in the seven games. Um, so I think the spot's really nice for Brown and Julio. Um, like Jess was saying, Julio is going to have one, you know, another one of these big games, like week two, you know, another one of these days, Corey Davis had a few last year, you know, really nice games. It's not always going to be Brown as the guy that goes off, even if he's the more, more likely of the two. So I think that the spot is pretty nice for both of them. You know, last year the Colts were dealing with, you know, I think Leonard or Buckner, like being out in like both the games. So Henry had a, you know, much easier matchup, you know, last year, the Colts defensive strength is still, you know, against running backs and they haven't been great there this year either, but they're still, they've been weaker, you know, through the air. So I think that the spot for the pass catchers is a little bit better than Henry, but you know, with Henry, you're also getting this expectation of like 25 carries on any given week. So that's what makes him, you know, interesting, obviously especially in a tight game, like it's projected. Yep.
0: I think the interesting thing just to note with uh, AJB and Julio is it does seem like a pretty clear number one and number two situation in terms of AJ Brown definitely has more targets uh, with Julio being kind of the clear second guy. I think what you mentioned Jess, is interesting though, in that, like how much of that, you know, in the, this small sample of these guys playing together, still how healthy has Julio been in those? I feel like we don't truly know. And, you know, one of the things I've been dealing with is a hamstring and like that always scares me with receivers and at his age, it's like, who knows if that'll heal fully at any point throughout the season. So yeah, just a lot of uh, kind of unknowns there, but he always has that ceiling. He always has the ability to produce. And so, yeah, just again, comes down to kind of like last game with, uh, Robbie where it's just, you know, you got to assess your risk tolerance and go from there with that. Unless you guys have any other thoughts on the pass catchers, let's move to Derek Henry in the backfield. You guys are kind of both alluding to the fact that that matchup on the ground there is a little bit worse. Um, but obviously, you know, Henry's continuing to see this. There's just like massive volume on the ground. Any notes or things that are sticking out to you? Jess, I'll throw it to you first here.
2: Yeah, the the Colts, if you're looking at DVOA, they're they're the toughest or the second toughest run defense on the slate for DVOA against the run. They've only allowed two rushing touchdowns. Henry got 113 yards in the, the week three matchup, but no touchdowns. Um, But it's like Lex says, and especially in a game this tight, you're looking at Derek Hendry probably getting 25 carries in this game. And at any point, one of those can go for 78 yards and a touchdown. So he's just a big play waiting to happen. Um, His price keeps going up though. Um, I don't know if he's going to be chalky or not this week because of the matchup being a little bit tighter. Um, Maybe people look elsewhere, but he's, he's not in a smash spot, which generally if it's going to lower ownership, means you might want to roster him in this spot in case he does blow up. Uh, I've got a little more thinking to do on it, but it, just looking at the matchup, the matchup looks pretty straightforward. Indianapolis Annapolis is tough against running backs. They've got DeForest Buckner completely healthy in the middle. Darius Leonard. I mean, they've got guys that are good at stopping the run. Their secondary has been beat up all year, and they're easier to throw on, but... When you have Derek Henry, you don't just take the, the easier matchup. You just, you're going to pound the ball at Derek Henry, no matter who you're playing.
1: Yeah, I wrote, um, so I was looking up, you know, trend type stuff and 26 points now for Henry at his price is not necessarily what you want. Like you need a bigger score from him to take down a tournament most likely, but it's still a pretty nice score to have. Like, you know, if that's his failure, you know what I mean? So in half of his 22 games with Tannehill as a favorite, so 11 of them, he's scored 26 plus DK points, so that's pretty pretty strong. And then in five of the 11 where he scored under 10, because like he is very capable of dutting as kind of just a yardage and touchdown back, um, just with insane volume. But in those ones he scored under 10, Tannehill had three touchdowns and four of them. And then the one he didn't like, Tennessee had a pick six. So Tennessee is going to score points most likely some way that through the entirety of Tannehill's Tennessee career they've been a very efficient offense. So basically if if Henry is having one of those really bad games, and that basically means Tannehill is most likely having a lot of production through the air or they're just completely falling flat on offense, but that's more rare. So I think Henry's in a a spot where you have to account for him um, just based on that kind of thing. Like it's usually going to come you know from success in the air with Henry but he's also in a spot that's like, doesn't set up horribly. doesn't set up great. So he could put up one of those mediocre scores. And then, you know, there's just not enough pass on either. And the whole Tennessee offense maybe scores like four touchdowns, but no one's really putting up some fantastic score either. So that's certainly in play and maybe the most likely expectation in this game. Um, But I, I, I mean, Henry's, obviously capable of breaking any matchup. Like that's the thing about him. He could be loaded up in the box. He breaks one or two tackles and then he's gone for 80 yards and you're like, crap, you know, I didn't play, you know what I mean? So I I think that you always have to account for the, for him and on your rosters.
0: Yeah. I kind of like what Jess was mentioning too, because that was what I was thinking in terms of Henry's kind of a depending on ownership play for me, that's kind of like how I decide when I want to play them, you know, playing high ceiling guys when the field's not on them. Also, at least for me personally, in the way that I play also kind of just can, uh, depends on how the, the slate is shaping up in terms of how I'm allocating salary and things like that. And, you know, sometimes it just feels like it's, you know, negative EV to be rostering a guy like Henry taking up, all of my salary when I can't do much else. Otherwise. Um, all right. With that though, let's move on to the other side of the ball. We have a little bit of a sample size with Wentz now being in Indy. And obviously we had this Tennessee defense that we were pretty much all expecting to just get smashed last week against the chiefs, uh, you know, some second stringers in there, but that didn't happen. They showed up in a big way. Lex, I'm going to throw it right back to you here. Thoughts on the defense and or Wentz at quarterback.
1: Yeah. I don't think Tennessee just like found the answer that they were looking for on defense. Um, I mean, it was obviously impressive what they did to Casey, um, but we've, we've had more weeks of evidence of them being a poor defense than them being a good one. So I'd still rely more on that. Um, they still have some major personnel questions on the back end um, their, pass rush is, their pass rush is improving with the way Harold Landry's been playing, but I think Wentz is definitely healthier than he was in the first matchup. That the matchup um, earlier in the season, he was questionable all week, wasn't even expected to play. Was when we thought Easton was going to be the starter, and then you know Wentz is like you know playing on Saturday. So uh, I think his rushing you know ability is a little bit more back in play. I think the the first matchup was the only game this year he didn't have a single rush attempt, you know, which is just a part of his game. Um, you know, if there's no rain, like, you know, like you were saying last week, Wentz has been really good actually throwing the deep ball the last couple of weeks, you know, for these big plays to guys like Hilton and Pittman. So I think that that's interesting, you know, attacking this Tennessee defense, if Hilton's back, I think that also helps the spot for Wentz, especially, you know, losing uh, Campbell. So I, I, I like the spot, you know, it's not fantastic. Tennessee obviously could always end up controlling the game for, you know, 35 minutes, slowing it, slowing it way down with Henry, but um, The matchup's nice, you know, Tennessee scoring on the, on the other side, you know, makes the environment interesting. Um, so I, I, I'll be looking at this, you know, Wentz is never a guy that you feel great about putting on the roster and he hasn't had some huge games this year, other than the Baltimore one and the Island game. But uh, he's definitely capable of, you know, three touchdowns, you know, in any given game.
2: Yeah, I think Wentz is kind of the case why I don't want to roster Darnold is because when you're looking down there on salary, I think Wentz has a little bit higher upside because of this game environment. Um, And he's throwing the ball like he's managing the ball well. He's only got a 1.5% turnover worthy pass rate. Uh, He's throwing it well when he's going deep. He's tied with Russell Wilson for QBR on uh, deep pass attempts. So he's doing a really good job other than that, like where the ball was kind of slipping out and he threw it right to the linebacker in San Francisco, but (laughs) that's what's what's in people's heads. Maybe they're not going to roster Wentz this week, but I don't know. He's, he's playing really well for them. He's playing within the system. He knows the system. Um, it's nice to see, uh, Michael Pittman starting to get involved on those deep routes and stuff. And he's going to be viable, especially if uh, Ty is out. And then the, the thing looking at with, uh, Tennessee is they're still getting destroyed in the slot. And that was where Kansas city tried to go like 20 of the 33 points that. Tennessee allowed to Kansas City receivers last week were through the slot. So that that is still a spot where where they're vulnerable and where teams are willing to attack them. And that would put Zach Pascal on the map. I don't know if I can roster Zach Pascal, but I mean, he gets a matchup shot. It was kind of like how uh, last week uh, JM mentioned Russell Gage. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. He hasn't really done anything, but it was a matchup spot for him. It worked out because Miami was weak against slots. So this could be kind of one of those under the radar plays that might work. Um, not sure if I'm going to go there myself, but it's just you know, Tennessee's secondary has been so beat up this year, but they play well. They obviously played well last week against one of the best offenses in the league but or if not the best offense in the league when they're healthy um wins in the passing game is interesting it's it's definitely interesting if if you're looking at at it without hilton without uh why can't i think of the the slot guy's name from ohio state right now uh the guy who's on ir uh campbell campbell yeah uh, without him, without those two, then that that really condenses targets down to basically Pascal Pittman and Hines, and then they're, the way John, uh, Jonathan Taylor's running has been amazing. So there's that too. But it's you got two really highly concentrated offenses and a game over 50 points with a spread of one. Like these are the type of environments that you you really do want to to get involved in, but. We said that with the Kansas City Titans last week and Kansas City did it. I don't know if the Colts will, but I don't know. This is the type of game that you want to work with.
1: I think the main concern always with Wentz is just his volume, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Darn before, like the Colts are going to try to run the ball and limit Wentz's pass attempts, you know, every week. So you're basically also playing with the expectation that Tennessee is scoring a lot on the other side, which forces Indianapolis to pass more. Um, I think that that's basically the, you know, always the, the, the red flag with Wentz, you know, just, is he going to pass enough? Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. I was going to say too, you know, just something kind of while we were talking about with, you know, the recent performance for Tennessee, like, you know, Baltimore two weeks ago, shut down the chargers. And then last week, you know, allowed 400 to burrow, like these defenses are super variant, you know, week to week. So Just keep that in mind. It's not just because they've played one great week. Doesn't mean they're suddenly the best students in the league, you know? Right. Yeah. Well,
0: Wentz was slightly interesting to me based on what you were saying, Jess, but exactly like you're saying, Lex, that would be my concern with him is just, yeah, it's not like they're going to go in and, and want him to be slinging the ball all over the place, kind of betting on the game environment and you know, at least some scoring coming from the Tennessee side to to get him into a decent range of pass attempts. Um, he does have that upside with his legs. At, you know, again, as we'll you know hopefully see a little bit more of if he's capable of that. Uh, and yeah, I guess the the one question I had with the the receivers for you guys is thoughts on what we would do if Hilton comes back. How do you feel about the distribution? And like, are you going anywhere with the the pass catchers in that case?
1: I don't know the prices. Like, I would keep them in mind just because of the environment and the matchup. But it definitely makes them less interesting. You know, just because of the way the Colts can spread the ball around on like low pass volume. You know, between other guys, like you know, with Hind mixing in. You know, everyone that gets involved. It does make me a little less likely to, you know, want to play Pittman. But I I, I think. It's they're. It's not like they're not viable, you know. Especially because they can catch these deep passes. But I, I definitely think that makes them far less interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. If if Hilton's in, then I'm I'm off of the Colts pass catchers just because of the the lower volume. Uh, you do Wentz will throw about 35 times if the game is competitive, but even 35 times with the group that they have, you really don't have anybody who's going to command eight, 10, you know, that type of volume that you really want. They are cheap. Um, darn it. I just had them up. Pittman's only 53. Hilton 49, Pascal 44. But with Hilton in there, I I'm less interested. I would be a little bit interested in in Pittman for his deep role because you can get the hundred yards and a touchdown with that kind of role if Hilton's out. But if Hilton's in, I I'm I'm off of the, the Colts passing game.
0: I think I'd have like a slight interest in just going. Uh, Wentz and Hilton and almost similarly to the last game with Darnold and Robbie kind of you know you get that cheap stack and expose yourself to some ceiling at least and if they don't hit they're not cratering you Uh, but that's really about the only uh, thing I would like there Jonathan Taylor he has been running well what do we like in this spot anything leading us to him Lex.
1: Yeah. The thing about Taylor is he's just super talented and super efficient. Like he's able to put up these huge yardage totals on, you know, not as many touches as some of these other guys get, but that's also what makes him, you know, a little bit more concerning just because you don't know how much volume he's going to get, especially in this environment where we expect them to potentially trail. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, it could just be a small sample, but in all three of the most recent games versus Tennessee, like Indianapolis has actually been using Hines more. I don't know if that's a, I mean, it's not like they lost all those games either. I think they won one by a significant margin. So they just something about the matchup with maybe Tennessee's linebackers that they like, you know, in terms of using Heinz in the past game. Um, so that, you know, makes me a little bit worried for Taylor, but you know, he's, he's gets used a little bit in the past game too. Like he has a few targets a game. Um, he's capable of busting, you know, he's one of the few players capable in the league of busting those like 80 yard plays, you know, like he's done the last couple of weeks. So I think he's going to be someone that I'll be interested in, you know, especially if you're building around, you know, the Colts may be playing with a lead in this game and then forcing like Tennessee to pass more, you know, that's always, you know, something to keep in mind. Um, you definitely, the spot isn't like great or bad, you know, Tennessee is not like they don't, there's nothing that jumps out about their, you know, the rushing matchup. Um, other, so basically you're just, you're just looking at Taylor as a guy who is capable of putting up those big scores on low volume, Um, So which is what makes him interesting, but also what makes him really concerning, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Exactly. Like there's nothing about this matchup that jumps out for Jonathan Taylor. He's a bet on talent play. The nice thing about him is he was 7,700 last week and he played on Monday night and they dropped him $500 for this week. So you get him at a bit of a discount this week because they didn't know he was going to go off on Monday night. Uh, in another game that was not a great running back matchup, but that was a more of a weather play. <laughs> like you kind of had to run the ball in that type of, uh, the bomb cyclone type <laughs> weather. Um, I don't know if I'm going to roster Taylor this week or not. Like there, there are other running backs that I'm interested in. He's kind of on the the fringe of what I'm looking at just because he is a bet on talent play. Um, but yeah, nothing about this matchup screams must play, which is kind of what makes him interesting. Because no uh, other people might be looking for the well, who gives up the most points to running backs and roster that guy. So he's interesting, at least.
0: Yeah, I feel like you guys kind of nailed that. I think the the Hines note is interesting to Lex. I think that's pretty sharp, uh, just as something to consider. So I'll fire up my Wentz, Hines, and uh, <laughs> T.Y. Hilton rosters. <laughs> Let you guys know how it goes <laughs> next week. Um, See, I
2: like I like Hines, and I yeah. I've been playing him for like earlier in the year, and I think I even played him in the first matchup in this game because same thing. Like I I think last year I had a big big score with him against Tennessee in a showdown lineup and like some, like, okay, when, when ten, uh, Tennessee and Indianapolis play, I kind of want to look at Heinz here, but I don't know what he's doing. What are they doing with him? Like, he's not putting up any points right now. So it's, he's kind of scary, but he is like, he is the guy that they like to use when they play Tennessee.
1: I, I do wonder is like with Wentz getting healthier, like as the weeks go by, like from that offseason injury he had, like if he's just, you know, maybe he attacks downfield more and he's, less likely to throw to Hines and like, you know, a rivers would, you know, so maybe that's why Heinz targets were more, you know, they were higher up in the beginning of the season. They've kind of started to trail, you know, trail Taylor a bit. So maybe that, that could be one reason why like Wentz is going to, you know, run a bit and he's looking more downfield, you know, Wentz is always the kind of guy that he's holding out for the big play. That was kind of one of his biggest problems in Philly. Um, and he still has a little bit of that to an extent. So that's what makes me a little bit more worried about Hines and probably why his usage has been trending down just in my opinion. Um, But like we were saying, he's, he's certainly, he's also a guy that's capable of busting those big plays, you know, and if they fall down big, you know, he's probably going to see the field more than Taylor.
0: Yeah. I actually think I remember it might've been Hilo and his uh, like little primer series that he did at the beginning of the season Um, might've been that might've been something else, but exactly that, like, Wentz is just not the guy who's going to really look for that dump off option. So, all right, we hit all the angles there. Let's move on to our third and final game for the pod Jacksonville at Seattle. It's kind of like a, I don't know. It just feels like a little bit of an awkward matchup. We've got the the Jags who just like, you know, what are they doing this year? <laughs> and then we've got the Seahawks without Russell Wilson, So I kind of feel like the field's just going to throw their hands up and not really, you know, uh, okay, nothing rosterable from this game and move on. So let's just do our due diligence here and see if that's the case or not. Starting on the Seattle side of the ball, we've got a a league worst Jacksonville pass defense against a QB and Geno Smith, who we have just a very small NFL sample size for can you take advantage of this matchup? And I think the better question really is, will they even try, will they need to do that? Uh, Lex, I'll go to you first here.
1: Yeah. He's going to be probably off my radar from a DFS perspective, just because, you know, we know how Pete Carroll operates. He's going to just try to run it as much as possible. Um, the matchup is obviously really nice and that's what makes the game more interesting. Like I think if Gino is able to have like a normal quarterback game that can, you know, boost the scoring environment then that makes everybody involved in the game more interesting, but you know, he's not a QB I'll probably end up with on a roster. Um, but I do think, you know, Jacksonville being as weak as they are, Gino hasn't been bad. You know, he struggled last week because the saints defense is, you know, they're very good. This, this is basically the complete opposite spectrum of what Jacksonville is. Um, but he was like solid in relief universe, you know, the Rams. And then he played, you know, as well as a, you know, back and quarterback coming in could against Pittsburgh. So I think that Seattle will be able to put up some points here. You know, obviously they're more likely to get the volume on the ground. um, But, you know, Jacksonville being as weak as they are through the air, at least sets up kind of nicely to at least look at, you know, their, their main two pass catchers.
2: I think I would look at the pass catchers more than Gino, just because of what Pete Carroll wants this offense to be like, He's not going to ask Geno Smith to go out and play like Russell Wilson. They're going to try and take as much away from his plate as possible, Um, even with. So doing like stuff where I'm scoring like DVOA and stuff like that, uh, Seattle comes out. Let me get to that really quick with the highest net pass DVOA by 11.3 points over the next team so like there if you're just looking at like that kind of metric they're smashing the next team but then you have Gino Gino Smith there it's like that it seems to happen a lot of weeks where you're like oh what's the best matchup on paper and you look at it and then you look at who's playing and you're like oh <laughs> Gino Smith, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and then you look, you know, Smith, you, you see his matchup and then you look at him. He has the second lowest a dot after Goff. He has the third worst, uh, pass rush to sack ratio behind fields and Baker. He's also holding onto the ball, looking for big plays, but he's not making them. So it's like, he he's really hard to even want a roster in this game environment. And then if you look over, I mean, DK Metcalf, I I like him just because of what he can do when they do get him the ball, but I mean, they, he had that big play and then we didn't hear from him again for a while in that, that last game. So I don't know what Seattle's offense is doing right now. It's more or less like they really want to run the ball and they have the number five net rush DVOA. So this could be pretty much an all Alex Collins game as far as Seattle's concerned. That's probably what they're going to try and do. And they have a matchup that could let them do it. But I and I, another one of those guys that I keep waiting for to have another big week has been Tyler Lockett, and he's been a bus. Like I have him in some of my season long leagues, and I I keep putting him in there and just watching him put up donuts. So. I don't know. I I think pretty much this game, there's a lot of things about this game that are interesting. Uh, Time of possession gives this game the most extra time. There's eight and a half minutes between these two teams because neither of these teams can possess the ball. So this is one of those games where you got two really bad offenses going at it. Um, Jacksonville plays at a faster tempo. So maybe they get a few more of the extra plays because the Seattle is not going to let Geno Smith do too much. So I kind of like the Jacksonville side more than I like Seattle. And really the only thing I like on the Seattle side is Alex Collins and he's cheap. <laughs> I think he's going to go pretty high owned because of the matchup and his salary this week.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's nice that the receivers are like at least starting to get priced down, you know, with going from Russ to Geno. So that makes them at least more, you know, viable to consider, especially in this kind of weak matchup. They're probably guys that you want to consider in stacks, maybe with the other side, at least correlation, because I think like what Jess is saying, you know, they're just going to try to run Collins as much as they can. So you're really only going to see that pass falling that you need for them to put up a big score. If Jacksonville is, you know, putting up points on the other side or taking a lead in this game. And I think we'll get to that, but I do think it's interesting. Like I think Jacksonville, what the last time they were on the field, they won right in London. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, a couple of weeks ago we had a Jacksonville Tennessee game on this podcast and we were uh, talking about the reasons Jacksonville could have success. And then they totally fell on their face. Tennessee didn't get the pass volume we'd hoped for, but those same principles apply. Like Seattle's defense is really bad on the back end. Like they, they played well last week, but I mean, there's like the saints offense has got like no, you know, nobody either. Um, so maybe they play, you know, well versus a similarly weak pass offense with Geno, but I think that just, they just, they don't have good corners on that side. I think Jacksonville capable of putting up points. And I think that that's basically the only way that I'll consider these receivers would be in that kind of environment. Otherwise I'm with Jess. I think Collins is the most likely guy to focus on in this game, just with how, you know, Pete Carroll coaches and with Carson on IR, you know, Collins has basically been dominating the usage in the backfield.
2: Would be interesting to see if they actually start trying to get anything out of Rashad Penny too, but
1: mm, <laughs> true. Yeah, I mean, he did just come off yeah, IR.
2: That's not something I would bet on. I would still look at Alex Collins, but it would be interesting if Penny does kind of make people because I, I I expect Collins to be heavily rostered at fifty three hundred this week in this matchup. So if, if that's a way Collins is going to disappoint, it's because maybe they're like, well, you know what, let's see what we got with Penny. It's been four years. We've only seen him three times. What can he do?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's very true. I think he wouldn't be a guy you would play, but he definitely could be someone that takes away usage from Collins for sure. Yeah. I don't know how Pete Carroll has been with like bell cows in his career. Like it seems like usually one is a guy dominating the touches. So that would be, you know, a little bit of boost to Collins. But then again, I mean, it's not like, this isn't Carson or their normal starter. This is like Collins and Penny. Like these aren't, you know, they're certainly capable of both putting up like 10 carries, you know, and taking away usage from each other. Yeah. Just
0: in terms of like how this, how Collins could fail specifically, excuse me, is, and and like, how fun would it be if Jacksonville came out and got out to like a 14 and zero lead that would just like really open up this game a little bit like you're saying Lex, like Seattle's bad on the, um, back half. And then, you know, Jackson, it's just like so hard, Jess, like you were saying, you get these just mouthwatering matchups, like Jacksonville is just so bad. And the secondary, like you just want to throw all over them. And you just know that that's not the the philosophy, but, you know, could be fun to put together a roster that kind of bets on, uh Jacksonville getting out to an early lead and rostering some pass catchers. Uh, and we'll get to it in a minute here. But um, you know, there's there's other things to like on the Jacksonville side of the ball, too. We jumped around a little bit there. Um I think just worth mentioning, you guys kind of hit on it, but like lock it, depending on game script. I mean, Lockett and Metcalf do just have such like massive ceilings in this spot. So if somehow, some way they need to be um, pulled out. Like, yeah, they could just either one of them. And I think with Lockett, like Jesse, you were talking about how frustrating that is. I feel like he's the guy that has like two or three, like 40 point games over the course of the season. And if you're not on those games, you're just like stuck chasing him the rest of the year, which is, yeah, I've I've felt that before. And I know how that goes. Um, But so, yeah, I mean, the ceilings there, I think the other thing too is there's just been no really like rhyme or reason as to, um, when or how these guys are getting the ball. They've, they've been pretty evenly distributed targets. That is even with Freddie Swain in the mix. So yeah, not a lot of like really bankable volume or production there, but the, the ceiling is there, especially depending on how Jacksonville shows up here. You guys want to bounce to the other side of the ball here.
2: Uh, I, I have one more point just really quick. It's another one of those. The matchup looks great, but you're looking at Gerald Everett who doesn't get involved. Jacksonville's allowing 18.4 points per game to the tight end position, which is trailing only the chargers on this slate. I don't have the full NFL up because I'm looking at the workbook right now, but for the, for the whole week, that's the second most points to tight end. So this could be a game Gerald Everett gets involved, but that just seems like a, a bad bet by the way they're using him. Like, it just seems so funny too. Cause Shane Waldron brought him up there from LA and they're like, I, I want you to be our tight end. And then they lose Russ and they're down to Gino. And <laughs> I don't even know if Gino looks at him and knows he's on the field.
0: And the, the dude's kind of a beast too. You know, it's like, how could you not be forcing this guy, the ball a little bit more, at least and just kind of like letting him toss guys off of him or something, <laughs> but right. I can't remember
2: who it was, but somebody in the off season. That's what kind of got me on Gerald Everett and best ball was like the, the tight ends, the ones that really do have high ceiling are those super athletic guys that played basketball, played other sports, and then learned how to play tight end like the Antonio Gates, the Jimmy Graham's like those guys have such high ceilings. If you can get it out of them and they bring them up there just to to hide him like, well, we're, we're not going to use you, but thanks for coming. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I'm mostly good on this side of the ball. I, I like Metcalf. I think he's interesting. I mean, last week he showed exactly what he's capable of those huge plays. He had what He had like a 14 point play and on the opening <laughs> drive, you know what I mean? Like he's a guy that can do that. And there's no Marshawn Lattimore this week to contend with or strong saints rush. Like this Jacksonville defense has been awful versus receivers. So I, I think he's a guy I'll at least keep in mind through the rest of the week.
0: Yeah. I think to just looking at ownership levels on those guys could be interesting. Lockett is one of those guys where kind of like I mentioned with Derek Henry, you know, I would more just play him, not because I think it's like the week where he goes off necessarily, but like because his ceiling would be so high in a spot like this. Uh, if, you know, not a lot of the fields on him, then I think that's always interesting bet just to make that. Um, all right. But yeah. Enough, enough Seattle offense here. Let's jump to the other side of the ball. We've talked about how the the only way that this becomes a really interesting game is if Jacksonville can push pace here. Can they do it? Um, Jess, I'm going to throw this back to you here. Thoughts on how their offense has been playing and how that matches up against the Seattle defense
2: well, they're playing at one of the the faster rates. Um, looking at it really quick, yeah, they're the fastest team this week as far as seconds per play total. Um, and then with the extra time between these, because neither of these teams can hang on to the ball for 30 minutes or more, they both leave time on the field. So if somebody's gonna take advantage of it, it could be Jacksonville. Uh, they have the number three net rush DVOA and the number six net adjusted line yard score. So that can be somewhere where they have success on the ground and they can kind of keep some possession and get some extra plays that way. Um, and then Trevor Lawrence has been doing a really good job of avoiding sacks. Uh, he has the seventh lowest pressure to sack rate in the league. Um, and he's going against pro football focus, seventh worst team defensive coverage or coverage defense. However, you want to say that. Uh, so he's going to buy time. He's going to find players. You've got Jacksonville coming off of a bye week that gives Lavisca an extra week to learn his new role. We already know uh, uh, Jones, Marvin Jones, is going to be just fine in that offense. So it, the, they definitely have uh, at least three really good players that they can work with, and you've got a a rookie quarterback who's getting better, who's doing pretty well at getting the ball out to these guys. So. There's there's definitely a, a path for Jacksonville to have a really good game and force. This is also another way Collins can fail <laughs> force uh, Gino into having to throw the ball and then their defense getting some turnovers and getting short fields and stuff like that. And then being able to actually score some points here.
1: Yeah. I think Jess hit on, you know, most of the strong points, obviously you'd like it a little bit better if it was in Jacksonville and not, you know, all the way across the country in Seattle tough place to play. You know, that's, you know, a a path to it failing just because sometimes those environments, especially you're on a rookie quarterback, you know, maybe it gets really loud. That might make it, and it could be bad weather, you know, that makes it tough. But um, Lawrence is, you know, he's at the top of this class. He looks like he's improving every week. He's cut down on the interceptions lately. You know, they got their first win behind them coming off their first buy. Seattle's defense is not good. I think this is a very interesting spot and especially, you know, with the concentrated, you know, this target distribution between basically LaVisca and, and Marvin Jones. Like I I like that, you know, their, your ability to stack them, you know, maybe have, you know, one of the guys in Seattle coming back. Like, I I think this is a good spot. Now Robinson is probably going to be the best overall play in this entire game, but like, it's still interesting to talk about this past game just with how weak Seattle's been, how much huge wide receiver production they've allowed um, you know, Marvin Jones has shown a very big ceiling in his career. Um, maybe not so far this year with the Jags, but like, he's, he's got that in him. So I, I I think this is pretty interesting. I, I, I think that the spot is nice, you know, other than some of the things I mentioned just about it being a weird environment in Seattle.
2: I agree with that. Like as far as Jacksonville having to come that that's like basically corner to corner across the the country. And then you're going into one of the loudest stadiums potential for bad weather. Yeah. That, that is definitely uh, something to think about in this game, especially for a rookie quarterback.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh man. Another spot where I'm so tempted to play the Jacksonville <laughs> offense. And I'm just going to be just killed by it. Um, I think I, I,
1: I think I wrote in our like Discord chat like that week when we talked with the Dags. I'm like, all right, guys, I'm going in on an Urban Meyer offense, and like if it burns, me, it burns me. And then I'm like a day later, I'm like, well, yeah, that didn't work out. But uh, one of these days, man, I, I I believe in Trevor Lawrence more than Urban Meyer. <laughs>
0: So I guess what I'm curious about, and this is a little bit of a specific question, but uh, just to to bring it up quickly for anybody that's relevant for, for me as a, a small field, single entry guy, sometimes I'm looking to roster both the quarterback and the running back and just try to soak up all the points from that team the way that you guys kind of talked about it and Trevor Lawrence and James Robinson feel like the strongest plays on this side of the ball. Is that viable in the spot?
2: Yeah. Cause you've got like Lex was saying, and I agree with Robinson is the best pure play from this game. Um, and then if you're wanting to decide on which receiver, like say you were looking at doing a, a Jacksonville passing stack, but you also have your thorn in, thorn in your side with Robinson there cuz he's going to score too. You don't have to bet on either receiver. You can just bet on all the touchdowns. You don't have to bet on the yards. You bet on the scores by going with your quarterback and running back combo.
1: Yeah, especially in small field. No, I I totally agree. R- Lawrence is only like 5500. He's in a good spot. You know, Robinson also gets his pass game usage. He's locked in for, you know, all their running back volume right now just because they finally realized that uh Carlos Hyde is dust and James Robinson is really good. Um, and then Seattle on top of it has just gotten crushed by running backs. I mean, you saw what Camara did to them on Monday night, if you were watching, but that's been, you know, the norm from this year. it's kind of been, it hasn't been what Seattle's been bad at actually the last couple of years. Like generally they've been worse than the secondary lately and they've been strong for turning backs. But for some reason like this year is completely shifted to just getting killed everywhere. I mean, does running backs are just destroying them this year. And Robinson is definitely in that group that is capable of doing that. Even if this team is itself is a little bit more shaky.
0: Yeah. I joked about some stacks and stuff here, but I'm, I'm legitimately interested in, in playing that block of guys here. Uh, if I, if I get a little crazy with it, I'll bring it back with Lockett or Metcalf maybe, um, just to make sure what you going to say, Jess, Oh, okay. Your
2: your idea of uh the stack and then your comment about Lockett earlier, like you you just said it, but I was gonna say, like that's that's your ceiling game. If if uh Robinson and, and Lawrence are smashing, then they have to go to Metcalf and Lockett. And Lockett has just as high a ceiling, like his first two games were really good this year. He has just as high a ceiling for cheaper than DK Metcalf, and nobody's gonna be on Lockett. They'll they'll roster Metcalf over Lockett. So it's it's a unique build. If you were to do a Lawrence Robinson locket stack and you have that huge ceiling from locket potential.
0: Well, you guys know, you guys will know what to look for in the game.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if Ben's doing well or not. Um, I also just want to say too, I think it's viable to like you were saying, Jess, you can kind of not have to pick a pass catcher, but I do think you could, you know, take the chance on throwing either Marvin Jones or LaVisca in that build. And just kind of hoping that you get a, a ceiling game out of either of those two guys, just to make sure we hit on everything with the pass catchers, anything specifically from Marvin Jones, LaVisca, even Dan Arnold that we want to talk about here. Um, you kind of mentioned in passing that LaVisca is playing a, a different position now. Uh, any, any notes on those things?
2: No, just that he has that extra week to learn it. And they, they've been talking about it. I retweeted something out from one of their, their beat writers who was talking, he talked to the, uh, wide receiver coach and was getting a little bit more of an in-depth explanation and they really like Agnew in the slot. So LaVisca is stuck in that X role and that shark role, which is the deep role. So if he's learning that role and he's getting better at it, he's learning how to run those routes without putting a tail out there. Then he's got some really heavy upside because he's going to catch the deep ball, but. You also, you you were going to see it and we already have, he's going to get less targets than he's used to seeing when he was in the slot. So like you, you kind of have to alter your perception on LaVisca here and just think of him more like a DJ shark than you would when he was in the slot. Um, Arnold is interesting. I know JM brought him up too in his uh, classroom yesterday and he's somebody I've liked all off season. Like I, he was my second tight end in best ball on a lot of teams and stuff like that. Cause he is one of those athletic guys. And that's kind of pointing me back towards the idea of just going Lawrence and Robinson, because he, as he, he's got the extra week and from that by to get used to this offense, cause he didn't start the year there. So you've got, three pretty good pass catchers there. You've got Agnew who's going to steal catches. So it could be a spread out offense now in Jacksonville. So it may be harder to bet on the guys that we thought were the sure things like LaVisca and Marvin Jones. So maybe, maybe it does make sense to do that. Just the, the Lawrence Robinson stack. And then if he throws a touchdown to four different guys, you've got all four of the touchdowns.
1: Yeah. Arnold, I think is definitely in play. He's only 2,800. There's no Kelsey. There's no Waller. There's no Andrews like, you know, tight ends, you know, it's missing those top guys this week. So that makes him even more viable. I think in my opinion, and Seattle's not been great versus tight ends. And, you know, they have a pretty concentrated like target distribution, like we've been saying, you know, in Jacksonville. So I think that's interesting. I also wanted to go back to Lawrence, like in the, the block you're kind of talking about. So Lawrence also has rushing upside, you know, he's, capable of scoring touch on the ground, you know, that would take away from trying to guess on the receivers. Um, and then also this week is like, I just said with the tight ends, the week is also missing, you know, Mahomes, Lamar, uh, Kyler, like your Rogers. Like, so you're really just hoping he can keep pace with like a guys like, you know, Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts. And, you know, Lawrence is definitely capable of putting up, you know, a score on the ground. You know, he, he can throw for a lot of yards for Seattle. So I think he's, he's definitely in the mix, you know, as a guy that can at least, you know, Get close enough where he pays off at that price, you know, and doesn't get killed, you know, just because of the slate missing all those top guys, I think it makes it more interesting.
0: I'm that's a really sharp point because that's usually the one downside with rostering a, um, one of those lower priced quarterbacks is you're kind of, you, you know, you're still putting them up there. You're, you're hoping you get a score out of them that can compete or isn't going to kill you by not rostering those really high price guys that can put up those big ceilings. So I think that's really interesting in this spot. I think Dan Arnold is really interesting in this spot. I didn't realize he was so cheap. That has me pretty interested because I think you could definitely do worse than that.
1: Um, and he's like, below Ian Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he's,
2: I think he's the same price as Sweeney who's taking over for Dawson Knox in Buffalo. So that's kind yeah, of where yeah. I'm looking at trying to, if I'm going at 2900, I'm trying to decide between those two, between Sweeney and Arnold.
0: I mean, and you just, I mean, you know, do what you want with James Robinson, but it, I mean, you even think of just stacking Trevor Lawrence and, and Arnold and man, you can do so much with that. And if you luck into four for 50 in a touchdown i mean you're you're looking really good and obviously considering lawrence has a good game um so yeah (laughs) interesting things there um we talked all the things jacksonville guys we are just like by week here we just continue to get later and later so either you know, hopefully the, the people are really enjoying this or we've just been talking to ourselves for the last 20 minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not too self-indulgent. It's been fun. I, I, we're getting into the games and having a good time. So, uh,
1: It's not too different than normal for me. I'm usually talking to myself about football. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, I'm over here on the East Coast, so I'm getting pretty tired. So if you guys are good, I'm uh, I'm ready
1: to call it. I'm ready. I to go get some dinner, pick up the puppy, and then hopefully lose some more money on tonight's NBA slate, you know, before <laughs> the football slate.
0: It's all right. I'm putting my money on, on Sunday behind Trevor Lawrence and Dan Arnold. So <laughs> there
1: we go. There we go. Willing to lose, willing to lose. Yes, that's right.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Larejo. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, it's been fun. Everybody, thanks so much for hanging out for Jess, for Lex. I'm Ben, and we hope to see you guys at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.